Father, we do pray that you would speak into all of our hearts. We want to be wise men and women. We want to know what your word says, and we want to walk accordingly to it. Help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was 14 years old, I had a kind of a friendship with a Catholic priest. And he found out that I liked to water ski, and he had a friend who lived on the river. And he said, well, my friend's got a boat on the river, and he'll take us water skiing. And I said, sure, I'll go. And so he picked me up and brought me to his friend's house. His friend was also a Catholic priest, an older Catholic priest. And they got in the boat, and they, were just, they weren't interested in water skiing themselves. They were going to pull me. And, uh, but they had an ice chest. When I opened up the ice chest, it was full of beer. Now, neither one of them got drunk that day, but they were, they were enjoying the boat ride and enjoying drinking a couple beers. But as a 14-year-old, being with these two uh, men who I thought were holy men of God, it did cause me a little bit of a tilt. I wondered how that all worked. Well, later on, I became a true follower of Christ as a college student and then went on eventually to go into the ministry, became a pastor. One of the things that I did, I've done in Arlington is I try to pull a lot of pastors together from different denominations to pray together. And some pastors of certain denominations don't really recognize the other denominations as legitimate. In fact, they use that terminology where our denomination doesn't recognize that denomination. And so I, we're kidding about that terminology one day. And one of the Baptist pastors in our prayer meeting said, Baptists don't recognize anyone else, especially in the liquor store. <laughs> so the question I want to ask is, is it wrong? Is it wrong for Christians to drink alcohol? Were those Catholic priests wrong for drinking beer on that day? Were the Baptists who do not recognize anyone in the liquor store afraid that someone might see them doing something that was wrong? Was it wrong for them to even be there? What does the Bible really teach about believers drinking alcohol? I had several people after the first service say, thank you. No one's ever taught all of what the Bible says about it. We have all these convictions, and, and yet uh, we haven't really seen it all together. You know, we have a long history of issues with alcohol in our nation. From the temperance movement in the 1800s to the prohibition in the early 1900s, which prohibited, and I quote, the manufacture, sale, transportation, or importation of alcoholic beverages in the United States. That was just in the early 1900s. In fact, Jose was telling me, Jose Iglesias, who leads our Mexico ministry, that when he was just a little boy, his father was a bootlegger. His father smuggled alcohol across from Mexico into Texas. And, and, and Jose, as a little boy, sat in the middle of the seat of the pickup truck, bouncing around as, as, as his father and his older brothers were smuggling uh, alcohol across the border. See, it was illegal to manufacture and transport and sell liquor in Texas at that time. Interestingly, thing, interestingly enough, though, one thing prohibition didn't prohibit was the actual drinking of alcohol. If you already had alcohol in your home, you were free to drink it. You just couldn't make it, buy it, or sell it to anyone. Well, a lot has changed in our country, both in our society and in the church since the early 1900s. According to an article in Time magazine, 67% of men and 55% of women in America drink regularly. 
Americans spend $155 billion a year, billion, a year on alcohol. That's enough for each person in America, every single person in America, to down seven bottles of hard liquor, 12 bottles of wine, and 230 cans of beer. In fact, New Hampshire drinks the most hard liquor, Washington, D.C. drinks the most wine, and North Dakota chugs the most beer, if you're interested. I guess Texas chews the most tobacco. I don't know where we are, but we live in a world that is swimming in alcohol. So what is the Christian approach, the biblical Christian approach to drinking? Now, as we look at some scriptures here this morning, I want to remind everybody up front that God is a God of grace. And if you sin in this area in any way, there is forgiveness, full forgiveness in Jesus. And if you struggle with this area and you have any struggle with addictions of any kind, then we have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery, CR, that we encourage you to let us help you. That so many people are walking in freedom in Christ through this wonderful ministry. Now, let's launch into the subject here because today, really, I want to start off by giving you the three main views concerning alcohol in the church. The three main views, and these three main views I am sure exist in this room, and I'm sure exist with people that are watching online. The three main views are, number one, prohibition, number two, abstention, number three, moderation. The first one, prohibition. Now, the prohibitionist view is to say that no one, no one should drink alcohol. The prohibitionist position views alcohol as inherently evil and that drinking alcohol in any amount or form is therefore sinful. That's the prohibitionist view. The second view, the abstention view, the abstentionist view also says that Christians should not drink alcohol. However, this view says we should abstain from alcohol, not because it is wrong in and of itself, but because the culture we live in is so much alcohol abuse. It's so rampant that Christians should just abstain. That's the second view. The third view, the view of being just um, of the moderation view, the moderationist position views intoxication as the problem, not alcohol itself. And therefore, sees no wrong with drinking alcohol in moderation. So those are the three views. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible has two main points it speaks to about alcohol. Two main points. Now, there's many sub-points, but I want to give you two main points. The first main point, the first thing the Bible teaches about alcohol is that alcohol is a gift from God. Now, before you start texting me, <laughs> and before you write some angry email, hear the whole message. It is true, though. According to the Bible, drinking wine in particular was used for sustenance, for pleasure and celebration, for medicinal value, for wor- and for worship rituals, part of offerings in the Old Testament. Let's just break it down. It was used for sustenance. We see, let me give you one story. I could give you several in the Bible. 
I'll give you one story. Abigail gave David, King David, wine and other provisions as sustenance for his band of warriors who were on a military mission. Let me read you the account. First Samuel 25, 18 says, Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on the donkey. Let's jump down to verse 27 where she finally reaches David and his band of warriors. And she says, And now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. So she brought them sustenance. And part of that sustenance was these jugs of wine. We see this very common thing as we read through our Old Testament and even in the New Testament. So it was part of a part of sustenance for people. Second thing we see is, 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 is wine was used for pleasure and celebration. Let's look at this. Psalm 104, verse 14 and 15 says, he causes the grass to grow. Now stop there. The he there is God. All right. God causes what? The grass to grow for the cattle, vegetation for the labor of man, and that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine, which makes man's heart glad so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food, which sustains man's heart. In John 2, we read the famous miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. Now, this is a good trivia question. How much wine did Jesus make that day? Remember, they had already been drinking wine and they were out. So how much more wine did Jesus make that day for this celebration? Do you know? 150 gallons of wine. So Jesus, God in the flesh, made, made wine for the celebration. So wine was used for sustenance, it was used for pleasure and celebration, also it was used for alleviating pain. Proverbs 31, 6 and 7 says, Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Paul's words to young, first, to young Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, 23, also speaks of the medicinal value of wine. He says to Timothy, use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Of course, we also see the medicinal value of alcohol in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, the most widely known story in the history of the world. Luke 10, 34, the Good Samaritan said he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. Now, of course, here the alcohol isn't being drunk, but it is being used to as a cleansing agent to guard against infection for these wounds. So the alcohol was used for sustenance, for pleasure and celebration to alleviate pain, but also it was used as part of the system of worship in the Old Testament of offerings. If you would like to you know, take a look at that sometime, you can, just, you can read that Israel was to give offerings, and part of the things they were to offer before the Lord in their worship, in their offerings, was wine. Leviticus 23, 13 says that a quarter of a hen of wine was offered up to the Lord as a pleasing drink offering to God. Now, how much wine was that? That's a little less than half a gallon of wine. Numbers 15, 5 says that with each lamb for the burnt offering, the Israelites were to prepare a quarter of a hen of wine as a drink offering. Again, a little less 
than half a gallon of wine. And they were offering that as part of their offerings before the Lord. So it was used also in worship to God. So we see wine was used for sustenance, for pleasure and celebration, for alleviating pain, for the giving of offerings. In fact, wine will be used in a celebration in the kingdom to come. Let's just read a couple passages. Amos 9, verse 13 and 14 says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the mountains will drip sweet wine, and all the hills will be dissolved. Also, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. In fact, Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6 we have a picture of the messianic banquet that we're all going to be at where Jesus himself, okay, is going to be there as the host. Here's what it says in verse 6 of Isaiah 25. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, that's meat, and refined aged wine. Now, when you think about who's making this banquet, it's the Lord himself is doing this. Remember, at the Lord's Last Supper, Jesus, his Last Supper with the apostles before he goes to the cross, they drink wine. They're celebrating the Passover, and they're drinking wine. But then Jesus says this. He says it in Mark 14, verse 25, Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. With you, So here's, there, there's a time coming where Jesus is going to lift a glass. And we're going to lift glasses with him. And it's going to be, they're going to be filled with wine. So wine is a gift from God for sustenance, for pleasure and celebration, to alleviate pain as part of worship and part of the experience we're going to have in the kingdom to come. That is the first point the Bible teaches about alcohol. That leads us to the second important truth about alcohol from the Bible. Number two is alcohol is dangerous. We were going to see very clearly with several sub points that alcohol is dangerous. It is a gift from God, but it is a dangerous gift. When I was 11 years old, I was in the Boy Scouts and I was, we were taught all kinds of things about camping and outdoors. And one of the things we were taught is how to use a knife safely. And we were taught that a knife is a dangerous thing, but a very useful thing. But because it's dangerous, you have to be careful. But I was very inquisitive one day, and I, I wanted to know what the inside of a golf ball looked like. So I got a golf ball, and I got a sharp knife, and I was going to cut it open. As I'm holding it, the knife slipped, and I almost cut off my little finger. In fact, I can't straighten it out even today because I cut the tendons there. So I had to go to the hospital. They had to sew it back together. And that week I played in a baseball game. And on my Little League baseball team, we were actually playing the other team. I was being coached by my scoutmaster. And he saw that I was having a problem because my hand was all bandaged up. And he came over and said, Gary, what happened to your, with your hand? I, I said, well, and I was so embarrassed to tell him, the guy who taught me how to be safe with a knife, what I did. As I told him that, he looked at me and said, Gary, remember, a knife is a useful thing, but it's a dangerous thing. You must be careful. 
Well, alcohol is a dangerous thing. And if you choose to partake in it, you must be careful. That's what the Bible teaches. Proverbs 23, starting in verse 29. Let's read it. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. And you'll be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. So Proverbs 23 is describing somebody who is under the influence of alcohol and some of the trouble that is coming with that. But also it's describing someone who's actually addicted to it because they just have to have another drink. There are all sorts of negative effects in the life of the one who abuses alcohol. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Remember, this is a series on wisdom. Whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. In fact, it's not only unwise to get drunk, but where you're no longer in control of yourself, you can cause yourself harm and others harm. But it's not only unwise, but it is a sin. The Bible is very clear about that. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That's excess. That's too much. But be filled with the Spirit. The Bible is clear. Don't be controlled by alcohol. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And if you drink so much that you're controlled by it, then you've fallen into sin. So again, the Bible's clear. Wine is a gift from God, but it is a dangerous gift. If you drink too much, you will not be under control of the Spirit. You'll be under its control, and you can cause all kinds of pain to yourself, your marriage, your family, your career, your health, and on and on and on. So alcohol abuse is a great evil, and many of you know from personal experience. Many of you struggle with it yourself. Many of you grew up in homes where it was a problem. My dad's nickname early on as a fighter pilot was Zombie. In fact, he had a patch, zombie. All of his buddies called him zombie. And I never knew, me and my siblings never knew why that was his nickname until after he passed away. And that was, it was after the memorial service. I was talking to some of his fighter pilot buddies back when he was uh, younger. They were there with him. And they went on to tell me and my older brother why he had the nickname zombie. And the reason he had that nickname was because his bar tab the first month as a fighter pilot exceeded his first month's pay. So they called him zombie. And I grew up, I grew up watching a lot of alcohol abuse on a regular basis. And in fact, my parents, you know, the, the fighter pilot couples, all, all young families, they would all get together once in a while and have parties. And sometimes a party was at our house. And we'd all be put to bed, you know, put to bed before the party began. But I would sneak down the hallway and I'd peek through a crack in the door to see what was going on in the party. 
And what I would see after there was a lot of drinking, is I was watching one man who I knew was married to that woman flirting with this woman. I'm thinking, that's not his wife. Why is he over there with her? This is all going on in the living room that, of the house that I grew up in. Some of us grew up watching alcohol abuse on a regular basis. The social and economic costs of alcohol abuse in our country are staggering. According to the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, an estimated 88,000 people die from alcohol-related causes annually, making alcohol the third leading preventable cause of death in the United States. In 2014, alcohol-impaired driving fatalities accounted for 9,967 deaths, 31% of overall driving fatalities is connected with alcohol. In 2010, alcohol misuse cost the United States $249 billion. In fact, alcohol abuse is especially prevalent, of course, on college campuses. And by the way, I knew during this six-month series I was going to be talking about somewhere along the lines because Proverbs speaks so much about it, I would speak about wisdom and alcohol. The reason I picked this weekend was because it was the weekend heading into spring break. The problem is so many... Young people are already gone. But alcohol is especially prevalent on college campuses. Researchers estimate that each year, 1800, over 1,800 college students between 18 and 24 years age die from alcohol-related unintentional injuries, including motor vehicle crashes. 696,000 students between 18 and 24 are assaulted by another student who's been drinking. 97,000 students between the age of 18 and 24 report, report experiencing alcohol-related sexual assault or date rape. About one in four college students report academic consequences for drinking, including missing class, falling behind in class, doing poorly on exams, receiving lower grades, etc. According to the CDC, excessive drinking is associated with all kinds of health problems. You have chronic diseases such as liver cirrhosis, pancreatitis, various cancers, including liver, mouth, throat, larynx, esophagus, not to mention high blood pressure, psychological disorders. Excessive drinking is associated with all kinds of unintentional injuries, obviously motor vehicle traffic crashes, but also falls, drownings, burnings, fire, uh, being uh, you know, injured in all kinds of different ways. And add to that, you have child maltreatment, homicide, suicide, and there is, they have determined there is no known safe level of alcohol that a, a pregnant woman can drink. So alcohol is a dangerous gift. There's no wonder the Bible warns about its dangers. In fact, there's also the danger of addiction. It's a very serious issue. Alcohol addiction is a terrible thing. And those in, here in this room who struggle with it, you know how terrible it is. Those of you who grew up around it also know how horrible of a thing it is. And one of the things I really want uh, our teenagers to understand is one statistic that I was really struck by is that according to the CDC, if you use alcohol before the age of 15, you're six times more likely to be alcohol dependent than if you wait till 21 for your first drink. Six times. So alcohol is a dangerous gift. In fact, we're warned about the danger of drinking alcohol a number of ways. And let me add another way, another sub-point under danger, is that 
you know, drinking alcohol, encouraging others to do so, you can actually cause someone to stumble, another Christian to stumble who doesn't have the conviction that it's okay for them to do so or have reasons why it's not okay or con- reasons of conscience. Let me, let me read some passages to you. Romans chapter 14, verse 19 through 21 says, So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. What is he talking about? What do you mean to break your brother stumble? other words, if you have a brother or sister who is in their conscience, their personal conscience conviction is it's not okay for them to drink alcohol, and you say, oh, come on, don't be a fuddy-duddy, go ahead and have a drink, you know, and you encourage them to do something, and they go against their conscience in that, then they sin, and you, and you actually partake in the sin by encouraging them to do so. And so it's important not to make another brother or sister stumble. If they have, if their conscience doesn't allow them to do that, you don't encourage them to do that. Remember also, when it comes to areas of Christian freedom, we should also make sure we don't judge each other with our convictions, because I know there's different convictions in this room. Here's what it says in Romans 14, 1 through 3. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he he may eat all things. And in this passage, he talks about also wine. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat, or also in the case drink. And let not him who does not does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. And he applies this also to wine. So if somebody has a conviction that they don't drink and somebody has a conviction that they can drink in moderation, the person who drinks in moderation doesn't judge the one who doesn't, whose conviction is not to drink. And the one who has conviction not to drink doesn't judge the one who believes that they can drink in moderation. That's what he's saying in Romans 14. Each of us is to maintain a clear conscience before God. Let me give you one more passage in Romans 14, verse 22 and 23. It says, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats or if he drinks in the context, because he, his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. So the question you need to deal with is not so much is it right or wrong for a Christian to drink alcohol. The Bible is very clear. It teaches about that. But rather, is it right or wrong for you to drink alcohol? What does your conscience allow? The Bible is very clear. Intoxication is sin. But then it's going to come up an issue of conscience, if whether or not you believe you can drink in moderation or totally abstain. Now, the Bible also gives one more warning. And this is a challenge, actually, to leaders. Proverbs 31, verse 4 and 5, it says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, lest they drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. The New Testament kind of version of challenge to leaders, the Apostle Paul writes to 
elders or overseers, 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, an overseer must not be addicted to wine. You cannot be a leader in the church and be addicted to wine. 1 Timothy 3.8, deacons likewise must be men of, men of dignity, not double-tongued, nor addic- or addicted to much wine. Why? Because too much alcohol impairs your judgment, and you have a double danger, really, as a leader. You, a leader must always be sober because you never know when you're going to be asked for counsel or direction. So a leader must always be in full control of their faculties and able to give the right counsel the right direction. By the way, this applies to both men and women. Titus 2.3, Paul writes, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. So let me just conclude what the Bible teaches about this subject. Alcohol is a gift from God. We see that it is for sustenance, it is for pleasure and celebration, it has medicinal value, and so forth, but it is a dangerous gift. The Christian is to never be controlled by it, but is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Drunkenness is always sin before God and must always be avoided. And you must approach alcohol with sober wisdom, remembering, of course, that it can lead to addiction. Also, some people do not have freedom in their convictions to drink alcohol and they must not be tempted to do so and to go against their convictions. And finally, leaders seem to have a special responsibility in this matter. Leaders must always be sober, always ready to lead under the control of the Holy Spirit. So alcohol is a gift from God. That's what the Bible teaches, but it also teaches it is a dangerous gift. So be wise. My prayer is that each of us will have our convictions from the scriptures and we'll each also walk in non-judgment of those who have different convictions in our church family. And I also pray that each of us will seek really what is, what is, what is, our, what is going to be our personal conviction and how we walk in our either use or non-use of alcohol. Yes, it is a gift from God, but it is a dangerous gift. So be wise. I'll tell you what I've seen. I've seen, what I've seen is so much, so many more people are unwise with it than are wise with it. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we pray for those who struggle with any addiction. We pray for total freedom that's available in Christ, that you would you enable them by your grace to walk in that. I pray that you'd enable them to connect with others who can help them with that. We pray, Lord, that we would be wise men and women in every area of our lives, including this area, that we would know how to walk in wisdom and how to walk with, with a clear conscience in it. I pray for, Lord, Lord, for us as a church, that we would be able to really know how to walk in balance in this area and all areas. We pray this in the name of Jesus.